You're listening to Igniting Imagination, a podcast to spark the spirit within you from Wesleyan Impact Partners. Discover how you can join us in a spirit-led movement to bring about human flourishing grounded in love, generosity, and belonging by visiting ignitingimagination.org. Hello, and welcome back to Igniting Imagination. I'm your host, Lisa Greenwood, and joining me is my good friend and co-host for this season, Shannon Hopkins. Hey, Shannon. Hi, Lisa. Our theme this season is Facing Reality, Claiming Leadership. If you've been around us much at all, and especially in the context of a conversation about the leadership that's needed in the church today, you've probably heard us quote Ron Heifetz, who says, and I'm paraphrasing here, the first task of a leader is to paint an accurate picture of current reality for their people. And it's only then that leaders can really mobilize for change. That's a very summarized version of the journey of each of our conversations in this season. We have an incredible lineup of guests who have come from different fields and backgrounds and who are all painting a picture of reality in their context for the sake of a larger mission. They have eyes to see both what is and what can be possible. And that is certainly the case for our guest today, Dr. Aaron Keeker from Trinity Christian College. Friends, you are in for a real treat because Aaron has a vision for a new economic model for higher education that is truly inspired, and I can't wait for you to hear it. And I can't wait to hear your reactions and feedback. So please keep emailing and reaching out to us with your thoughts about this episode and all our episodes. We are so grateful for the ways that you are shaping this podcast and our own thoughts as we process these conversations. Okay, so Shannon, will you share Aaron's bio with us? Uh, absolutely. Dr. Aaron Keeker serves as president of Trinity Christian College. Before assuming this current role, he served as the college's provost since 2016. His work as the interim president and provost represent a sort of homecoming to the Trinity community. From 2008 to 2013, Aaron was the associate professor of theology and the director of education at the college. But in the intervening years, he served at Moterno University in Longview, Texas. Most recently as dean of the School of Theology and Vocation, professor of theology and director of the Honors College. Dr. Keeker's academic work has largely focused on identity formation in the early Christian church with an emphasis on New Testament studies and biblical theology. He received his PhD in New Testament studies from the University of St. Andrews in Scotland, his MDiv from Western Theological Seminary, and his BA in political science from Central College. Before earning his PhD, Dr. Keeker served as associate pastor and youth pastor at Community Reformed Church in Zeeland, Michigan. I, I think it's important to note from his bio how deeply formed in faith and in the church Aaron has been. And this certainly comes out in the conversation. You'll hear it. Shannon, what else stood out for you in our time with Aaron? Uh, I think, you know... Absolutely. It's that piece that he's so deeply formed mm -hmm. and his vision of what Christian community is and its gift to the world. Yeah. It's so inspiring. And that really 
came home to me listening to him. Yeah. And you're right. It, it shapes everything he, uh, it shapes his own identity, but also how he sees his work and how he sees the work of higher education and forming people to live as uh, their best selves in the world. Right. I mean, it, it, it really does come from this sense of, of, um, calling in the Christian faith. And I, frankly, we don't see that all the time. <laughs> you know? No. Yeah. And it's so inspiring when you do, right? Yes. Like that's why we did not run out of things to talk to him about. Yes. Yes. It, it also struck me that he's leading uh, an established institution, 70 years old or something like that, into the very real needs of today and tomorrow. And so he's leading change right in the midst of an organization that could be stuck, but but he, he's he's not letting it be. And um, so, and and I think that's a good word for all of us who are serving in the church, an established, long established institution, and trying to lean into the future. Absolutely. So let's listen to our conversation with Dr. Aaron Keeker. Aaron, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, so glad for the chance to talk with you today. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. So we're going to jump right in. Mm -hmm. You are a college president, and this season of our podcast is about facing reality and claiming leadership. Mm -hmm. So let's start with what is the reality that you are facing on a college campus today? Yeah, thanks so much. What a good question and big question to begin with. <laughs> big, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, this is not a banner time for higher education in America. So yeah. one way of answering that question is to name. All, there's all kinds of challenges that we could point to with the data. There, I mean, there's a huge student loan crisis in America. You know, one one point six trillion dollars of student loan debt in America. Uh, you know, public confidence in higher education right now, like 36% of Americans think higher ed is good. 40% of students who graduated in the last five years say it wasn't worth it. That's like a three-star Yelp review, you know, and you don't go to those restaurants. Um, so there's challenges all over the place for higher ed. So on the one hand, I, I think people are looking and saying, gosh, the reality on these campuses is we're not sure if the system is working the way that it could to be good for people or good for more people in deeper ways. But there's another reality as well, which is, you know, colleges are really complicated organizations. Functionally, they're super complicated. You know, business offices, maintenance plants, counseling centers, residence mm -hmm. halls, food services, mm -hmm. uh, academic operations, academic support, alumni, boards of trustees, tons of students, which also then means that the reality on these campuses is that there is a, there's a huge amount of gift on these campuses. Uh, it's really like vocationally such a diverse community. Uh, and so, you know, you hold the kind of challenges of the sector, but really alongside this incredible opportunity. Um, I think within higher ed right now, there's a temptation to see scarcity. There's a demographic cliff. There's not enough students. There's not enough money. But I think what we're really working on here is to say, but the other reality that is probably the leading reality is that these are communities full of gift and potential and opportunity. God, that is beautiful. And I mean, the, you just said what we're also saying to ourselves and to congregations and to those who are leading congregations, right? 
how do we shift our perspective from scarcity, desperate mindset to an abundance and of course, asset-based community development work in flourishing neighborhoods. And um, I love that image of how richly diverse the people who walk around on the campus, not just the students, but the rich diversity of folks who are making possible what happens on a college campus. That's, that's fantastic. Mm. Um, As we talk about what uh, the realities that you're facing, I I, I just have to mention that we've seen recently, very recently, the college presidents in in the news um, testifying in front of Congress. And and it's not unusual for colleges to be the Mm -hmm. focus of sort of political and cultural debate in our country. You've just named some statistics that are are, are, um, giving witness to that. Um, So how does the the reality of our political divide in our country impact your campus? Yeah, thanks. You know, I think for us, uh, all of us are are so shaped right now by this moment of incredible polarization. Yeah. And you know, like our most our most well developed muscles right now, socially, feel like muscles of like excommunication mm-hmm. and cancellation, mm-hmm. and that's that's our go to move, and. You know, we certainly see that, of course, with the uh, professionals who who work here were shaped by this environment. And I think you see people in their roles sort of struggling to find another way. But when you think about especially our traditionally aged college students, you know, who are 18 to 22 years old, roughly, boy, their lives, a big portion of their lives are in this moment, you know, this last seven or eight years that have just been so remarkably polarized that's normal to them. And so Mm -hmm. I I think for us, one thing we see is we have an incredible calling to help students learn to live together across lines of difference. I mean, that is an incredible calling. And I think as we, you know, think about some of the major shifts inside of higher education, some of the ways that, for example, artificial intelligence are shaping things, some of the vocational pressures. One thing that places like this can do by virtue of their many types of diversity is really help students in this moment actually see that there's a different way of being human and community together mm-hmm. and that the differences that we have actually in here, you know, rooted in the Christian tradition really can be held together in Jesus Christ as a, we can be given as a gift to one another and then figure out what that means for our discourse, our intersection, our disagreements. Uh, it's, so it's a huge opportunity. Uh, it's a big challenge as well, because like I said, you know, our instincts are not instincts to reach across those lines of difference right now. Uh, and we certainly we certainly see that, but but really see it as a, a profound gospel calling to chart a different way. Oh my gosh! Just feels like that rings so true with all the conversations we've had so far this yes, season. Yes. Um, with Margaret Wheatley, with um, we were with Dr. Pauline Bosch yesterday, and just how do yeah. we how do we sit together with people we disagree with? And yeah. I mean, I wonder are there some things you can point to that you've done on campus that make it um, that's making that easier for students. Are you how intentionally are you bringing students across difference together? I mean, it's there, but 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 what are you doing to amplify that or to build the muscle in the students to do that so they do it when they leave? Yeah. Well, thanks so much for that question. And, and I mean, I think the very first thing I would want to say, Shannon, is um, boy, we have a lot to learn and a long way to go. So I would really hold nothing out as like having accomplished anything. 
I'm going to answer that with maybe two two sort of things that come quickly to mind uh, in terms of our our work around that. I mean, there's some things that you would expect with regard to the ways that we ways that we engage student groups. Certainly, the ways that this comes out in classrooms, we we definitely try to do that. But a couple of things I want to point to. I mean, one is uh, for us, we've taken a really intentional approach over the last year or so, really spearheaded first by our board of trustees to do some significant structural work. Uh, around diversity, belonging, justice, equity, uh, but in ways that are so intentionally articulated as rooted in Christian soil and the kind of the particular the particular gifts and power I think that the Christian story has for ho- holding us there. So one is some really intentional structural work around hiring, around programs, around approaches to invisible barriers on campus that are really just actually naming the reality of that in our context, but then trying to I think resource the community with the gifts of the gospel, actually, which I think are far more radical than any approach we have in the wider context around how to be together across lines of difference. Jesus is far more radical than what we see in our discourses anywhere. That's one thing. A second thing feels much softer, but I think is really significant, which is we changed our academic schedule. We don't have class on Wednesdays anymore. (laughs) And we, we talk about well-being Wednesdays and we ask our students, what do you need to be well? And we ask that from a really big picture vision of Christian vocation. What does it mean to be a fully human being? So what does it mean to be well academically, financially? I can talk more about that, but socially, emotionally, the gift of that time for our students is doing some really good things in our community. And we're seeing it kind of pay off, actually, with more students retaining and sticking around, with more students... Um, actually feeling good about their mental health with more. And so that's a soft intervention, but a pretty big structural move that just chooses to say, actually, in order for us to have this kind of community that engages across lines of difference and Trinity, uh, at least in the world of Christian higher education, has a significantly, you know, pretty significant amount of sort of racial, ethnic and socioeconomic diversity, that the gift of time that enables the intersection of relationships, that's that's been important to us. That's incredible. I mean, I'm just listening to you say that you have reorganized the structure of the class week and and your and how you do your um, scheduling and your teaching and and um, and you've structured it around well-being in a season in our world and in our culture when diseases of despair, epidemic, you know, loneliness epidemic, um, all these things have come to the fore and you haven't sort of just wrung your hands. I mean, you, you called it a soft intervention, but it's actually quite tangible and intentional. And ah, I, I just want to name that that's incredible, Aaron. Mm. And, and, uh, I want to come back to something you you mentioned that you were willing to come back to um, that I think is really important to um, and that's the the diversity of folks that you have on campus, um, economic diversity that you have on campus. And, and earlier you gave a statistic about the high cost of college tuition, um, the impact on um, students and long-term, what that means yeah. for their livelihood and their well-being. And, um, and so I, I, I want to come back to that. And what are you seeing and how has that impacted your role and, um, yeah. and the things that you all are doing? Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Um, 
I mean, I think for us, this is the the sort of the sort of growing, leading, transformational edge uh, of the moment inside of our institution. Um, and, it, and in some ways, it actually starts uh, maybe surprisingly because you're asking a money question, but I'm going to mm. start with a time answer, which is it actually starts with that approach to time, which was for us, I think, really rooted in a, a vision of the abundance of God's world mm. and a willingness to say that there's enough time for human beings to be well, that God mm. has not made a world in which there's not enough time to be well. And so there was very much a move towards abundance there in our way of thinking about schedule. But then as we sort of aligned that with a bigger vision of well-being, I think we, we began for all kinds of reasons to, to see the way that the economic model of higher education wasn't really serving anybody well. It's, not, it's certainly not serving institutions like Trinity well. It's not serving students well. It's actually not serving the government that... Uh, spends more money to administer the federal student loan program than it brings in. It's not serving the government well. So it's not working. And I think we began to be really deeply motivated by um, challenging ourselves to answer the question, well, has God really given us, have you, God, actually given us all that we need for life and faithfulness? And that is a, a question of many kinds of gift, but it is also a money question. And so we, but what we began to realize, I think, in that moment, as we really started working on that and looking at, you know, we have the privilege of serving students from all over, but the center of gravity for our student body is certainly the greater Chicago area um, and all of the histories of economics in, in greater Chicago. We just really began to see that maybe there were ways that an institution, if it were willing to not look inward in a kind of scarcity posture, but actually look outward towards its ecosystem, could, could actually help money flow in ways that were different and that could open doors of access and student financial flourishing. So I'll, I'll tell you quickly what we did yeah, um, and the way that we've, we've sort of lived that out with, with the caveat that, um, oh, we have so much learning yet to do in this space. We opened up that gift of time. Uh, we actually just reached towards the, our greater Chicago partners to say to our business owners, hey, would you be willing to share more fully and mutually in both the benefits and costs of higher education, because certainly in the kind of relationship between students and colleges and employers, students bear all the economic risk. They bear all the economic risk. And so we just created with that flexible schedule access to early stage paid internships for our students who right from the beginning can get in the door, uh, can get really incredible experiential education and then in return, actually get grants that go direct to tuition. So they don't pay payroll tax. It reduces student loan debt. And we know that that student loan debt impacts students for 20 years on average, at least in their lives. We know that it causes over 82% of loan holders say, uh, hey, I've had to delay a significant life uh, milestone, buying a house, getting married, having children because of student loan debt. We know that that falls incredibly disproportionately along lines of race and class. Mm-hmm. Average student loan holder has $36,000 of debt. Average black woman in America with student loans has over $80,000 of debt. Mm-hmm. And what we're starting to see with that loan burden is that the wealth premium, uh, the amount of money, students do make more money if they go to college, but the amount of money they have at retirement sometimes shows that college was actually a bad investment. Wow. Because of the repayment cycle for student loans. So we just said, what if we were willing to assume debt wasn't the foundation of higher education? Hmm. So we opened up time. 
we leaned into our partners. We, there was no single institution solution to this. Like we didn't have a dial in the right. college to fix it. Yeah. And then we lowered our tuition. We just created a new tuition and, and financial aid model that really aims to be realistic, transparent, and accessible. So we dropped our tuition 40%. Wow. created a new oh aid structure mm-hmm. and just really aimed to say, Hey, it, we don't think it actually costs $40,000 to educate a college student. So let's not price it like it does. Instead, let's price it realistically so that students who don't have a long history of college can see a front door. Mm-hmm. And so that when we can tell a story um, of, of the way that students could access debt free education, what we'd be able to do is really focus those students on opportunity and bottom line rather than as as much of the model in higher ed celebrating the size of the coupon, the scholarship, mm-hmm. but not the bottom line. Mm-hmm. All of that for us was just our effort to say, we lo- we're learning if we learn, if we work with our ecosystem, complex systemic problems, we can solve them on a very local level, at least. So mm-hmm. sorry, that, that's a pretty long answer, but that's, a, that's my debt mm-hmm. answer. And it starts with time. Uh, but for us, it's about, hey, we needed to look outward and say, well, maybe there is enough gift from God, but it comes oh, from everywhere, yeah. not just internal to us. Yeah. And how have folks uh, responded? And, and let me start with this. Some You talked about community partners and business, business owners and how have they responded and what are they seeing as the value in this? Like, what is the value proposition, if you will? Yeah. 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 No, thanks. Great question. The response has been so powerful and positive. So, I mean, one headline I could say is we have business owners who are saying, Hey, here's a college that listens to us, Mm -hmm. Uh, creates flexibility for student access. It's solving some of their challenges around hiring and retention I mean, the economic sort of modeling on their side is pretty easy to show, too, because we know the cost of hiring, onboarding and retention. And so for us to be able to say, let us help connect you earlier to talent pipelines, that that feels good to them. Mm-hmm. And so for established business owners, the response has been really strong. And in fact, in some ways, the demand of business owners outstrips our supply of students. And so that's been really cool. Uh, we've also been able to do some modifications for early stage businesses, especially from sort of underinvested, formerly redline neighborhoods that couldn't yet afford to pay a student, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that way, we've got donor funding that this is such a cool. I'm so proud of our, our teams who have built this process, uh, our business department in the lead, but with so many collaborating. We've got this wonderful process where we partner with the South Side of Chicago Business Incubator that puts forward entrepreneurs of color at a moment uh, when they need labor to give lift to their enterprise, but they don't have the money for it. And those students, it's kind of like Uber for the gig economy. Those entrepreneurs drop a little 20 or 40 or 60 hour job into a portal and our students match with it. And our students will start a marketing campaign or get their books in order or create a business plan. Students get 18 bucks an hour for that. Those entrepreneurs get lift. A college gets revenue. Students reduce their loan debt. It's a really sort of powerful dollar uh, that does a lot of good by saying, hey, let's put that dollar into the wider system. And so that's been a huge opportunity for those business owners, but also for our students to get that. It's an incredible educational experience for them. So the response has been on the business side, really, really positive. Wow. Wow. Okay. So where have you experienced obstacles or pushback or like... Because it all just sounds so perfect and amazing. And 
So um, I will say that the response has been really overwhelmingly positive. And it's a really, you know, honestly, it's a really simple, it's not complicated. Actually, Mm -hmm. it's a pretty simple approach, but it's just asking some different questions. And so I think when we share this, folks pretty quickly nod along with us. I think the challenges, so the challenges are challenges that are probably at home anytime we take mutual relationships seriously. So for example, working with lots of different business partners in a way that aims to be responsive to what they need means we have to develop lots of muscles for flexibility and responsiveness. And so I think internal to Trinity, one challenge that we have is uh, I increasingly think like, what does it mean to be a good institutional friend? Like, how can we listen and respond? And so, you know, colleges historically aren't built for that kind of responsiveness. Uh So for us, it's about like, can we be flexible enough? Can we also, I think, sometimes be gracious enough? Because, you know, when you work with friends, you work with all different senses of pacing and timeline. And some (laughs) friends like to be early, some are on time and some are always late. It's true in partner building as well. And so learning, I think, to hold some of the cost actually of that, but doing it graciously because we can see that together, we can accomplish some, some things that we can't do alone. So that's definitely been a challenge that we're really like, we're right in the middle of the growing process on that for sure. Uh, Every time I hear what you're doing, I I actually want to get involved. (laughs) I'm like, I'm so excited and hopeful Mm -hmm. for the future of higher education Mm -hmm. and the sense of seeing the gospel. Like Mm -hmm. when you're really rooted in this, in a Christian ethos, what can happen in our world. But you said um, you started with, we started with reimagining time and we started with rethinking the business model, but I want to talk about leadership because I would love to know like your journey of really claiming leadership. Like, Mm. uh, cause my sense is, and knowing you a little bit is like, there was a conviction and a Mm. vision that allowed you to, even start asking different questions. Can you talk about your own leadership journey? Yeah, sure. Thanks so much. Um, And thanks for those encouraging words. And I'll say out loud right now, so much of these ways of thinking I've learned from Shannon Hopkins. So what a pleasure to be speaking with her about it at this very moment. (laughs) So true. You know, I think for me, um, like here's an answer that doesn't get you invited to many cocktail parties. But for me, I can root some of this in my PhD research. I don't want to be that guy, but do you know what I mean? Um, But in ways that I never would have expected, which is just to say I had the real privilege of spending a number of years thinking about the way that in the Gospel of Luke, in the Book of Acts, the Holy Spirit transforms identities in ways that allow people to live together across sort of profound lines of difference. And what I began to see, I think, over the years, as I had opportunity first in classrooms to spend time working on that, but increasingly in positions that had uh, also had the privilege of asking bigger questions about how institutions are formed, is that what the what the Spirit was doing, you know, in those early days of the church was cultivating a community that could exercise really profound radical generosity and really profound enemy love. Mm-hmm. And Shannon, for me, I think over over time, I just began to wonder, like, well, what would it mean for an institution? Uh, actually to take up practices of generosity and and enemy love, love across lines of significant difference. So maybe a, a, a strange way to come into a question about leadership conviction, but I think the way I could tell a, a story of my life actually is to say I've been given the opportunity 
to sit in spaces where at a larger and larger level, I could ask that, that very question. And so the, the, I never wanted to be a college president. Um, don't say that to my board of trustees, but I never wanted to be a college president. But this sort of door opened to me in a season when, when I was surrounded by a number of incredible people, both inside and outside the institution, who were sort of dialogue partners about, well, what would it look like for an institution to be serious about that in its very structures? And so I came into a season of invitation from our board, first as, as interim president and then as permanent president, where actually that stirring was there. Mm -hmm. And what I felt was a call, actually not towards presidency, but a call actually towards gospel transformation in a particular community in a particular moment. Mm -hmm. So that's why I stepped towards mm -hmm. it. Um, and I just have to say, my goodness, so many people have sort of been on that journey as co-thinkers and co-creators and have deepened my own sense of conviction around that. So that's that's kind of a how from from here to there. For for us, this moment at Trinity was challenge plus Christian theology plus math. That's really um, <laughs> that's really what we've been up to. Yeah. So can you repeat that challenge? Yeah. Plus challenge plus theology plus math. Yeah, those three things. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I mean, you know, a lot of people that listen to this podcast are congregational leaders. They're pastors mm. that, you know, are leading in a time where it's challenging, right? Yeah. They have challenge. But I wonder if you could speak to to those pastors. What would you say to them from this side, from having led the last two years at Trinity? Yeah. The first thing I would say is, oh my goodness, thank you. Um, and I never want to miss a chance when I encounter someone who's leading congregational ministry to say, the world needs your work so badly. And it is such a challenging time to take up that work. So, A, I just want to say thank you and don't do not lose heart. I think, you know, I think what we're learning here at Trinity and what I, I think I'm learning as a leader is that in this moment of challenge, uh, I mean, here's an example. I go to higher ed conferences and it's a time when you can almost see the physical embodiment of scarcity. Mm. People are turning inward. The conversations are about not, not enough, not enough, not enough. Um, there's a kind of an undertone of cynicism and what's notably missing quite often is joy. Mm. And I think what we're seeing is that in that moment where we're tempted to turn inward, which is a, not a posture of life and growth, like to turn outward as boldly as we can, mm. yeah. actually to be more generous than we think we can afford to be, and then to tell the folks with whom we work the truth about all of that, like that's been invigorating for us. Wow. At, at Trinity, that's been about telling people the truth about student loan debt. I mean, we've said, I've shared this, I know, uh, with, with Shannon before, but sort of my go-to image has, is, since I always have a cup of coffee in my hand, is, you know, to say that, hey, this coffee that I bought uh, at Starbucks this morning, like I actually paid for that with a loan that a student will pay for the next 20 years because my paycheck comes, 44% of our revenue comes from student loan debt at Trinity, and we're working to change that. And then just to say to our faculty, that doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good, but it's some truth telling. It's sort of facing the reality of leadership and then opening up space for really good hearted, smart people to help move towards solutions in our churches. I mean, we our churches too are um, though, you know, obviously we all know that the church in America lacks some kinds of diversity in ways that it desperately needs. Mm -hmm. 
And also the church has incredible vocational diversity, incredible diversity of gift and calling. Actually to tell the truth about the challenges of the moment and allow those gifts to sort of bubble to the surface, that's a spot of great joy because that's where we see that we really are surrounded by far more actually than we think we have. It's just worth noting here how much you are talking about truth-telling as connected to your leadership and that facing reality, naming reality, telling, speaking truth is foundational, integral to being mm-hmm. able to lead change in this season. And uh, so it's just, just worth noting mm-hmm. that because mm-hmm. I, I'm, and, and that that doesn't lead you down a path of despair and hopelessness, but quite the opposite. Yeah. It kind of fuels the energy toward hope and possibility, and uh, and and so I'm 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 just appreciating that in your words today, uh, really, and even as I watch your your leadership, and um, I want to I want to come back to something you said about um, that you named about higher ed, and say yeah. this is often true of the church, and that yeah. is that flexibility is not perhaps the muscle that we have exercised the most. (laughs) So, and yet you are leading a a kind of dramatic change. I mean, dramatic change in your institution. And, um, and I, I think, and you know, we've, we've all heard so much about leading change is kind of knowing how much to, to push and to change and to move in into new things and hold what it, I mean, you know, to be able to not change so much mm. that you lose people or that you get fired, mm. <laughs> like you, you know, <laughs> you're out. Yeah. Um, and so can you just talk a little bit about your own leadership mm. approach and, and how you navigate that in an established institution as you lead change? Yeah. And, you, you know, I think that's a, a, a kind of learning edge for me as well. Actually, I certainly like my kind of the space I most naturally inhabit personally and where I feel my energy the highest is actually space of idea and possibility. Mm-hmm. And that can be so tiring in a system. So I gotta, I have to be really, I do have to be careful about that. You know, that can be so tiring and tiring I, for the system or tiring for you, Aaron. Oh, thanks. I, I was more thinking tiring for the system yeah. actually. I yeah. Yeah. More thinking about tiring for the mm-hmm. system. And so, you know, I've been extended, I think, a, a remarkable amount of grace from the like the operational geniuses who work around me, mm-hmm. who are just like, okay, let's figure out how we could do that. And so I, I'm learning to really listen, first of all, mm-hmm. to folks who are so skilled at deploying. That, that's one thing I would want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been really important. A second thing I would want to say, though, is I, I do think w- there are never... You can never overshoot the number of times that you can paint the picture of the hopeful future. Mm. And so the significant change that we've been doing, I think for me to be able to continue to narrate the why of that, but also to celebrate the successes. And we've got some, we have some really, really cool data around student well-being in a number of different areas. That's just showing actually in ways more than we would have predicted that this is working to name that, to honor the folks who are so closely connected to that on the day to day, to this is not about any. This is not about what I'm doing. This is about what this community is doing. Um, I have my role, uh, and it's a pleasure to work with folks who are better at so so many things than I am. I think the one other thing I want to say that's maybe particular 
to an academic community, that might be important just for thinking about sort of seeing the gifts in a system. So when I, sometimes when people hear Trinity's story, they'll make a move towards um, a stereotype about faculty, which Hmm. is, and they'll ask a question like, how did you get your faculty to do that? Yeah. Um, Which is also, first of all, there's an interesting assumption about leadership, that leadership is about getting people to do something. Right. But also there's an assumption about faculty that they're recalcitrant. They don't want to change. They're whatever. I think one thing that's been so fun for me over the years at Trinity is to see this. Two things. One, I mean, Trinity's got an amazingly innovative faculty, so we're lucky in Mm. that way. Nice. But the gift that faculty bring to the table is an incredibly critical eye. Like the Mm. formation for a faculty (laughs) <laughs> it's learning all the things that others haven't seen or got wrong or could have said better. That's how you become an academic. Mm-hmm. It's by seeing what the problems are and then proposing solutions. And so when faculty make that move to say, hey, wait, wait a minute, what they're actually doing is exercising a gift that you can actually receive really well and say, I am so lucky to be surrounded by a whole room of people who can quickly see gaps mm-hmm. in my thinking. And actually, we don't want to run past that. We want to listen to that and then move Mm -hmm. forward. And so I think what so many people name as a challenge around a a kind of faculty mindset, I I think the opposite. I'm like, this is exactly what the system creates, but it's a gift. It's a way of thinking. It's not the only way of thinking. We need other ways of thinking. But to do that and then to put in front of faculty a worthy challenge and let them go to work on it. That's an awesome way to sort of see leadership unfold that pulls people in. Yeah. So Aaron, that is a tremendous amount of ego strength that you're showing. I just want to say that's not, that's not (laughs) present everywhere that you can see questions and challenges raised Mm -hmm. as information, helpful Mm -hmm. information, and that you're curious about it and you're leaning into it as opposed to seeing it as obstacles. Um, to moving forward. I mean, that's beautiful. And, and what a, what a, a gift of wisdom to all of us who are, are trying to lead and, and, uh, especially in, in an environment of change. So yeah. thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. It's just a, yeah, I think the, the deepest part of that conviction for me is just that we, we just need our ecosystem mm-hmm. and what, what are the gifts that are, to which are I'm present. already connected uh, there and, and, the ecosystem. Uh, yeah. Like that is the way God leads and guides us. And I think mm-hmm. even an institution sets a course of discernment. Like if we can see those gifts and yeah. what's present, we might be able to say, look at the doors that are opening up before us. So that's, that's a part of that for mm-hmm. me, I think. Yeah. I love it. I mean, a lot of it though is there is a way of seeing, right? Like you're choosing yeah. to look and to yeah. see something different. I wonder, mm-hmm. I love what you said a moment ago. You said you can't, overstate or overshare the story of hopefulness and the sense of vision of the new possibility. Um, But I wonder when you're not, when like the gap to go from here to there, right? Mm -hmm. It takes time. And when it gets slow, when change is slow, how do you and your team keep going? I mean, because you, because you also mentioned like the reality is there's still a load of the budget is paid by student debt like you're reducing mm-hmm. it but it's not going to be net zero right like yeah. so how how do you keep going with maybe the good enough or the the journey yeah 
Gosh, I had a really powerful moment about a month ago when I had a, a, a chance to sit in the office of former professor of mine. Your your language here cues this for me, Shannon. A former professor of mine who really, if I you know told a longer story of my vocation, I would say kind of created an imagination for me that that higher education could be a space to really impact lives. And mm. I was speaking. I hadn't seen him in a while, and I was speaking to him about what we were up to, and he said to me gosh, and, and it just, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to make things a little bit better. And I was so grateful for that. And I think that that's an, that is an important piece for us to be able to actually name and narrate the small steps as well. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that's tricky in higher ed is that we have a really slow business cycle, so to speak. <laughs> you know what I mean? We've got a, it just rolls year and then another year. Yeah. And so that does take time, does take time. I would like to become better at celebrating those moments of success mm-hmm. and using them to, to sort of nourish kind of the soul of the institution. Mm-hmm. The opportunity I think that we have here is we have, uh, you know, this place is full of students, every one of whom, you know, so deeply, dearly loved by God with an incredible story. And so to be able to hear those stories on a regular basis mm-hmm. for our leadership team, for our board of trustees, those are the stories that are like, well, of course it's worth pressing forward. Of course it's worth it. And so those stories are everywhere. If we'll just pause and listen. Yeah. Okay. I want you to talk about some of the success around well-being. Sorry. That's what I was going to. Because (laughs) Lisa mentioned it. She, you know, we know the statistics around young adult isolation, depression, loneliness, and yet you you know, you've rejigged the whole system to try to improve student well-being. Yeah. yeah. Tell us what, what you're learning, yeah. what you're seeing. Yep, absolutely. So, yeah, I, you know, last in the, the spring of this year, uh, I think it was Gallup who released this poll that said just over 40% of college students reported mental health challenges significant enough that they considered withdrawing from college. So that's a big deal. Two out of five. And it was, it was anyways, that is a big yeah. deal. So of every five students that are walking on my campus, this campus, as I look out the window over here, two of them have wondered if they could keep going, mm-hmm. at least nationally. That's oh. remarkable. Um, you know, what we had been seeing at Trinity was in, in line with uh, colleges everywhere. The utilization of our counseling center was just on this really steep upward curve. Mm-hmm. And then COVID had exacerbated anxiety, particularly in ways that were really acute. So we were watching that happen here. People everywhere were watching that happen. That's well known. Um, when we when we shifted our approach to time, we had this we had a hunch it was going to be good for students, but there weren't a lot of models around that in inside of higher ed. There are a few places that had gone to four day schedules, although most often it was colleges that were not having class on Friday, so they could kind of turn the heat and lights off and save money. And so we wanted to put that sort of moment it, kind of in a rhythm. I mean, the Christian story does teach us a lot about rhythms of time. Mm-hmm. And so to create a middle space that was just open to students. And so I'll give you the, some, some data in a second. But just to say we've had to actually really guard that time from two things. We've had to guard it from in, intentional scheduling just to say, we're not going to require anything of students between 9 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. Nothing can be required. And then we had to guard it from our own anxiety about saying to students, you choose 
you decide what's going to be good for you. You know, like we too want to kind of step in and say, let me help you know what's good for you. Mm -hmm. But when I get to sit with students who are brand new freshmen and say, hey, uh, there are 120 Wednesdays in your four years. Like, what if you could use that gift of time to begin learning how to choose what you need in order to be well? Because we we know what's true of human beings, which is that uh, if you are well, you can do well. And that's certainly true of college students. So what we've seen, so last year we saw a 50% decrease in the use of our counseling center. Um, by the way, none of this, like, you know, like this is all early data. So I would say like, we are not spiking the football in the end zone yet. These are complex <laughs> things. Um, and so we can't like connect it all back to that. But that's, I celebrate that. 50% less uh, utilization of our counseling center. We saw last year about a 40% decrease in the number of students who uh, were below sort of academic requirements to progress. So academically, students are doing better. Uh, this year, I just shared this with, with faculty yesterday. This year, we, of course, at midterm, always track the number of students that were are below a 1.0 and a 2.0 GPA. This uh, semester, our numbers were about 60% better than the best semester we had ever had. And so wow. I just celebrate wow. that. And when, but, but the real good uh, data is just to say to students, hey, what are you doing with your Wednesdays? And to hear people say, I'm doing my group projects or I'm sleeping more or I went to the gym mm -hmm. or and uh, we know all those things are good for human beings. We rarely yeah. we grownups rarely ourselves take that kind of advice. But um, to hear them tell those stories and then to see it come out in some of those measurable ways, that's been really, really cool. Beautiful. And a, I think a, a perfect note to, to go into our final question um, as you tell these stories of, of impact of the work that you're doing, which is mm. uh, phenomenal. So we're asking all our guests this yeah. season, one final question. And so yeah. as you consider, um, the realities of the world that we've named and the leadership that you've been called to, what do you want to be remembered for? Yeah. My goodness. Talk about going for it with a question. <laughs> <laughs> right for the soul. Uh -huh. That's awesome. Thanks for being the kind of place that asks questions like that. A good question. You know, I think for me, um, it, it, the, the world that I want to see really is a is a world where human community is marked by generosity and love across lines of difference. And I, I would love to be remembered for being someone who helped communities and leaders imagine uh, actually the way that God's world of abundance and connection and, and mutuality and cooperation, the way that that world is a world that actually opens up towards radical generosity and enemy love and that we can actually imagine real ways of living, structuring our communities, structuring our institutions and organizations that are at home in, in that world. And so I think for me to, yeah, to be remembered as someone who tried to imagine with the sort of shape of the kingdom as well as we possibly could and tried to do that with joy. Mm. That's maybe how I'd answer that today, at least. Yeah. Well, it's, it's happening. It's how I see you and experience you, Aaron. So... That's, um, thank you. Thank you for your time today. Thanks for being with us. And, and, um, and, and more than anything, Aaron, thank you for being somebody who is listening to the spirit and leaning in with courage and, uh, tenacity and imagination. Thank you. 
Yeah, thank you. And thanks. It's just so encouraging to be in a little community here uh, <laughs> on screen of folks who are doing the very same thing in their context. And so, uh, yeah, let's not stop. Let's not stop. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Igniting Imagination is a production of the learning and innovation team at Wesleyan Impact Partners with excellent editing support from TruthWork Media. Follow us on social media at Wesleyan Impact Partners. Visit our website at ignitingimagination.org and share episodes with friends and colleagues. Our hope is that these conversations can spark imagination in your context. I'm Blair Thompson. On behalf of all of us at Wesleyan Impact Partners, thanks for listening.